We come to God's word today in the book of Acts, chapter 17. We've been journeying with Paul through Acts for the last couple weeks, coming uh, next week to the book of Philippians. So we're trying to see how the the word of God, these appearances of Jesus after his resurrection and the message of Jesus spread out beyond Jerusalem to uh, various towns further and further away. And today we come to the city of Athens, where Paul proclaims the word to the people there. I'll be reading from the New International Version. The words will also be on screen, though I do invite you to open a pew Bible or device if you have one handy. I'll read verses 16 through 34. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, and some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, we know what this new che- May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. As an aside, the author writes, all the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see in every way that you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples made by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. And God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that a divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed, and among them was Dionysius, one of the members of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
You've probably been at some sort of large public event in your life where you saw someone get up on a box or stand up on a stage and grab a megaphone and start preaching the gospel. Now, did you notice how that made you feel or, or how that, the people around that person reacted? Maybe they were handing out tracts. Maybe they were talking really loud. And, and as people go by, most of them uh, avoid eye contact, try to shy away or cross to the other side of the street. Most people try not to attract that preacher's attention. Uh, only a few people might stop and maybe engage that person directly in some sort of argument. One of my seminary classmates spent a, a whole summer internship in, on the streets of London, England, doing exactly this kind of street evangelism. Now, knowing her, I'm sure she did the, the best possible version of it, asking questions, uh, connecting with people in their lives, and finding some way to give them the good news of Jesus Christ. And maybe she did stand on a soapbox sometimes, or hold a megaphone and preach in a crowded square. And most of us would probably think of that as a, one of our worst nightmares. Uh, but I think she loved it. And though you've never probably been a, a, a soapbox preacher, or maybe you never even heard one, but you've probably had a moment in your life where it comes up that you're a Christian. You're, you're at work, you're, you're in some sort of public space, and someone somehow asks, wait, you're a Christian? What, what does that mean? What, what do you say about this? I, explain to me something about God or Jesus or, or what you believe and Maybe you are not quite sure in that moment how to answer. How do you talk about the good news of Jesus Christ? How do you proclaim the gospel in a way that people can hear it, in a way that they can understand it and grasp it and believe it? And that's where Paul in this story today comes in handy for us because these stories of Paul uh, shows how he preached the gospel and, and, how, and it's fascinating and useful and uh, sustaining and helpful for us today. Because Paul was this master evangelist. He planted churches all across the Mediterranean. He, he preached the gospel and planted the seeds for what became the church throughout the whole world. And we saw a couple weeks ago how Paul started off on the wrong team. How he started off persecuting Christians uh, for, uh, on behalf of the religious authorities in Jerusalem. How he was over the top even for his time. He was there when they stoned Stephen, and he, everyone approved of it. And on his way to this distant city of Damascus with papers to arrest followers of the way of Jesus, Paul met Jesus himself. And meeting Jesus on that day changed everything for Paul. He goes through these three days of darkness and fasting. He, he dies to himself. And then he, at the hand of Ananias, is raised up to life and witness in, in, for Jews and Gentiles alike in God's kingdom. Paul goes through a time of prayer and preparation in the desert, and then he goes to Jerusalem and gets approval to go out and preach the gospel, first to Jews and then to Gentiles. And, and he begins these missionary journeys where he can first point to the common ground that he has with Jews. He himself, being a faithful Jew, says, look, this is what the scriptures say. The scriptures point to Jesus. He is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And sometimes that's all it takes. And that synagogue of people becomes a church, and they spread the word where they are. And sometimes that's what gets him kicked out of town, and off he goes to another place. And sometimes the word spreads to Gentiles, like the jailer we heard of last week in the town of Philippi who put Paul and Silas in chains deep in a dungeon and kept them there, and yet they proclaimed the word of God to him. And he believed, and he was baptized that very evening. 
Paul finds this bridge to the culture. And Paul, in each of these places where Paul goes, he follows kind of a, a similar pattern. First, he finds a, a bridge to the culture that he's preaching to. And then he, he, he uh, builds on that bridge and shows them who this God is. And then finally, he shows them that Jesus is the better one. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, bri- bridge, build, better. I, I, I'm not great at catchy phrases, but I thought of that one in the shower, and we're going to run with it. Bridge, build, better. And we'll see how Paul does that in this story, how he bridge, bridges to the culture, how he builds on it, and then how he points to Jesus, who is the better way. Now, Paul here at the beginning of the story gets dropped off in Athens by some believers after getting kicked out of two cities prior to this. First Philippi, then Thessalonica, then Berea. And when he ends up in Athens, he's all alone. Uh, Silas and Timothy have been staying back in Berea to help uh, nurture the, the new church that is growing there. And so on his own, as he explores the city of Athens, the first thing Paul notices is all the idols and temples. He is greatly distressed by this. This is hard for Paul. It makes him angry to see all of these idols because he is a follower of the one true God. He is a good Jew. But he doesn't start preaching on street corners quite yet. He doesn't start a culture war with the Athenians. No, that's a losing battle from the start. No, he goes to his usual place, the synagogue of the Jews, to talk shop with them. That's how Paul usually starts his ministry in a city. And if the teaching is well-received there, then great. That's the first church. But then Paul often then goes into the marketplaces to preach the word. And he does that here in Athens too. Anyone who will talk to him about religion, Jew or Greek, he'll talk with him. And that's where Paul meets the, the, the greatest philosophy clubs of the time, the, the Stoics and the Epicureans. Now, the Epicureans were all about pleasure. The, they, they loved life and enjoying all the good things of life. Today, we still use the word to talk about loving, tasty food. They also talked about enjoying good things in moderation and avoiding pain. But their fiercest opponents, their enemies, were the Stoics. The Stoics were all about the life of the mind and trying to get away from the body and try to get the the problems of the body down so that they could focus on the life of the mind. And when Paul preaches this message of Jesus Christ to them, it doesn't make sense to any of them. Not to the Stoics, not to the Epicureans. He's called a a babbler, which is a word for a a foreigner who's saying stuff that doesn't make any sense. And Paul's message that the risen Jesus changes everything just doesn't fit. Where is the pleasure in that? Where is the logic in that? And Paul is about to be dismissed as this country bumpkin who's bringing in a new religion. But there still are some curious people that day in Athens. Who are these gods that he could be talking about? So they bring him to the Areopagus. And the Areopagus was uh, two things in Athens. It was both a a rocky hill, which you can go to today, uh, and it's pretty near the Acropolis. I've never been there, but I've heard it's a great place to take a picture of the beautiful buildings of Athens. It was a place where people would meet outside to talk ideas. And later on, it became a, a, a building down from the hill where the council of the city of Athens met. So the word Areopagus means both that rocky hill and the council, and we're not particularly sure which one is the one that Paul was in that day. But some people are curious curious enough that they want to hear the word that Paul is preaching. They want to hear him out. They want to know who is this God that he proclaims. In fact, uh, Luke, the author of Acts, gives us this funny aside here. He says that all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spend all of their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas, like they had nothing better to do all the time. 
Maybe they could learn something from this babbler, this new way of thinking, this talk about strange gods. Maybe there's some germ of truth in it. And Paul takes this all in. He takes in the tour of Athens and its idols. He takes in the invitation to the Areopagus, and he makes a bridge. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Now think of what Paul could have said. He could have gotten up and said, you all are idol worshipers, and you're going to burn in hell for it. But he didn't. He used what he observed. He used what he saw in the culture, and he made a bridge to them. Yes, They are very religious, at least on the surface. Though by this point in Athens' history, the religion was weakening and most people were basically atheists or agnostics. Most people didn't care that much about the gods. They just did it to cover their bases. But they were pragmatic too. They they might as well cover all the bases and worship all the gods to make sure they didn't make any single god angry. And that's what Paul noticed on his walkabout tour And that's why he bridges. He he says, I I found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, he says. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. See, Paul is this master bridge builder. He takes in the huge amount of idols that they worship and he concludes that they are very religious. And he finds the one idol, the one God that they worship that points toward the God that he preaches. And he highlights it. This is the one. This is the one God whom you worship, the creator of heaven and earth, even in ignorance. This is the true God. And then having made that bridge, Paul builds on it. And the second part of his sermon focuses on who this God is, who this unknown God is, the creator of heaven and earth, the the Lord of heaven and earth. He cannot be contained by human hands. He, He cannot be made in a temple, made by hands or idols. Paul points to general revelation, to nature, and he says, look, God is revealed in nature. God is revealed in nature, but he is above it. He is different from creation because he made everything. So far, so good, say the Athenians. We've got no objections to that. They were used to arguments that began from nature. And Paul even quotes some of their own philosophers and poets to make his point. They point to God too, he says. One of them says, For in him we live and move and have our being. And another one says, We are his offspring. Imagine standing up in some sort of central place in northern Michigan, in our culture, and trying to explain this strange foreign God you follow. Now, first of all, where would that be? I'm not really sure. Would would it be at a political rally or a town festival? Would it be at a flea market or an event like the Flywheelers? Uh, What do you say when you stand up there? How do you make a bridge? How do you build on it to point to who God is? Maybe you say, I see that you are looking for meaning. I see that you're trying to fill a hole in your life. I see that you're not quite satisfied. People may not want religion, but everyone around us is trying to make sense of things. Everyone else is trying to do it to find their place in life, and maybe they do it by joining a tractor club. Maybe they do it with politics, by flying a flag outside of their home that declares that their candidate is the Savior. Maybe they go with their family. Uh, they, They do whatever they can to help their kids grow up well. They stick together and care for their own. What do you say to this person to help them understand? Well, Maybe you join them. Maybe you join that club, that organization, that group. Maybe you sign up for the leadership team and help show up and listen and learn what people desire and uh, lead them to Jesus. Find out what they want, what they hope for. And then you make a bridge. You say, 
Because I can guarantee you 100% that they are not satisfied in what they're doing. That something is probably not quite right in their life. And that is an opening to bridge to Jesus. And then you build on that bridge. You, you show them who God is. How God has made us to desire God and how our hearts are restless until we find our rest in him. You can point to creation, to how God made us. You can describe how God is revealed as this triune, holy, good, and powerful, loving and knowing us to the very core kind of God. And after bridging and building, you point to Jesus, like Paul did. Jesus is better, says Paul. Jesus is the one. And since God made us, he says, we should know better than to worship idols made by human hands. That's silly. And God in the past has overlooked our ignorance. But now, God's grace is towards people who don't even know him, who don't even understand him, and yet his grace is yet long for him more than they even know. But now, he says, but now Jesus is better. But now God commands people to worship him. God commands people to repent because Jesus changes everything. Because of Jesus, the better way is clear. Because Jesus will judge people at the end of days and set things wrong, make them right. Jesus changes everything because he rose again. Jesus changes everything. And that's where Paul starts to lose people. See, the the resurrection is one step too far. It's illogical. It's impossible. There's no way. How can anyone defeat death? It's the one true constant in the universe. Death and entropy, which is the same thing. But if Christ has been raised, then everything changes. If Christ has been raised, then death has lost its sting. If Christ has been raised, then the old ways of living don't make sense anymore. If Christ has been raised, then the church can live like it. If Christ has been raised, then everything changes. And for some in Athens, that is a bridge too far. They dismiss Paul and they move on with their day. But for some, it clicks. If Christ has been raised, and he really has, then this changes me. This changes how I live. It changes what I believe. It changes how I act. And and those people, Greeks and Jews alike, become believers and followers of Jesus. They become the church, the people who believe and live like Christ has really been raised indeed. And Luke even gives us a few names of them. Uh, Dionysius, this member of the Areopagus Council, and Damaris, and important women, and a number of others. And these were probably the sources that Luke used to tell this story, since he probably wasn't there. It's like his footnotes for this section. Here's where I got this from. But the key point is clear. Jesus has been raised, and he changes everything. He is the better way. He is the way of life. And whenever we preach the gospel, wherever we are, whether it's here in northern Michigan, uh, we, we would do well to imitate Paul's pattern, to bridge and build and better, to, to find those links and bridges between our local culture and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to build on them and show who God is and what he's done, and to point to Jesus Christ, the better one, the one who changes everything. And that works whether we're here in northern Michigan or in northwestern New Mexico. We need more street preachers. Both of those places are mission fields, places where few people actively declare and live like Jesus is risen indeed. A decade ago, around 15% of people in our area were members of a church, much less even active in it. And now I would bet it's probably less, maybe even under 10%. 
And calling your member, yourself a member of a church is a pretty low bar. I mean, how many people live like Jesus Christ changes everything? We're in a place now that has changed dramatically in the, in the last 50 years. How do we preach the gospel? How do we build better bridges? How do we stand up on a box like a street preacher and get the news out to those who need to hear it the most? One good idea that I've heard involves finding ways to connect. And I I heard this one first from my uncle and aunt, who are members at a church called Lombard CRC outside Chicago. Their pastor has often encouraged everyone in the church to do three things, find three things beyond regular weekly worship to be a part of. One, be a part of a ministry where you are fed, like a Bible study. Be a part of a ministry where you serve, where you help other people, where you come alongside them. And third, belong to a community group. Uh, A community group meaning something that's not religious, something that just is out there being part of something in the community. Uh, For example, my uncle joined the local antique car club, and my aunt is on the library board of trustees, and and, and, uh, all of them are part of this church where people are being fed and where they're serving when they're out there in the community with people, listening to them and hearing them and proclaiming the word of Jesus in ways that people can hear because we need to keep preaching the gospel like Paul did. To bridge, build better. To bridge to where people are at. To build on that and show them who God is and then point to Jesus, the better way, the way, the truth, and the life. And in the coming years, we are going to continually have to refocus ourselves on the mission of the gospel in this place and in every place of the church in North America and around the world. And it may not be easy And it may involve change, but it will reflect the risen Jesus, the one who changes everything. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O Jesus Christ, risen one, we call on your name this day. And we hear the, the good news and we see the, how the good news of your resurrection changes everything for the people in Athens and for the people around us today and how you change our lives too. And we want to proclaim your name. We want to, uh, to build bridges so that people can hear the gospel and see who you are and come to know and love you. And we pray that you stir in our hearts a, a desire and an ability to do that to see the connections between where we are and the people around us and and your word and what you've done, to build on those connections and point them to the, the wonder and the marvel of who you are, the better way, the better one, the way, the truth, and the life. And God, we trust that you are already doing that in our midst and that you have been supporting us as we do that even now. We pray that you continue to, by your spirit, give us strength and wisdom to do that well, to proclaim Jesus Christ Uh, crucified, died, and risen, and to show and live out what that means for us. God, we trust that your mission is alive in this place, and we know that you are continually going to work in our hearts to do that. So we pray that on this day and in the days to come, you may open our, our eyes to see and to listen to the people around us, to find those bridges by your Spirit, to build on them in ways that people can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.